0: Amen. Hey, you guys can be seated. How are we doing? Good? Good, good. All right, well, we're in week five of our King in the Kingdom series. We're using Matthew 1 1 as our anchor verse. You guys should have this memorized by now, I think. Uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we've spent two weeks looking at the promise to Abraham, two weeks on the promise uh, to David, and now we're in the final round, right? Two weeks on the coming king, which will take us to, Christmas, to our Christmas service this coming Thursday night, okay? Uh, Today we're going to be in Zechariah chapter 9. Uh, It's two books before the book of Matthew, Uh, so while you're turning there, I want to give you a heads up for the series coming in January. The first few weeks in January, uh, we're going to do a bit of an encore uh, in our King in the Kingdom series. We're going to continue, we're going to stay in the book of Matthew, but we're going to look specifically at prayer uh, leading up to our launch on January 26th. I want to call us to be intentionally praying and fasting. I want to call us to to ask God to move with boldness and in faith. And then on our launch Sunday, we're going to begin a new series titled, Who is Jesus? Uh, And we're going to walk through the book of Mark asking that very simple question. Who is Jesus? Right? That's that's our series. It'll be 12 weeks. It'll take us to the resurrection um, for Easter. And it's going to be intentionally very simple. We're going to make this series very, very simple. We're going to challenge everyone to invite as many people as we possibly can for our launch. and that Then every Sunday during this series, we're going to make the challenge for each of us to invite one person every Sunday after that. Um, we're going to be printing out 2,500 inviter cards. 2,500 inviter cards uh, for all of us to, to, to pass out. That's about 40 or 50 inviter cards per person. Um, we're going to be giving for our new friends, our our co-workers, and then uh, taking them to public spaces, taking them to the college campus, taking them to as many people as possible. I mean, how cool would it be if we handed them out before our launch, right? And we had to reprint another 2,500. I mean, just let's, let's make it happen. I mean, what could God do with 2,500 simple invitations to come and hear about Jesus? Like what, could, what could God do? And in January, you know, it's, like I said, our series will be very simple. Today, it's not so simple, <laughs> okay? Um, it's much more technical in nature, so prepare yourself. Um, I've, worked really, I've worked really hard to make this really, to make it as simple as possible. I, I, I think it will be easy to follow, but let's be honest. We're in the book of Zechariah. Um, it's categorized as one of the minor prophets here. Uh, they're, just a, they're just a little bit more complex by nature. You know, they're like uh, supplemental books that we have over, that come all over biblical history. The first half of the Old Testament from Genesis to to Nehemiah, it's much more historical in nature, they're historical narratives, um, like Abraham and David, Covered the past few weeks, and then over the second half of the Old Testament, these are, we have more of the, the additional books, the supplemental books. They're, they're different types of genre, like wisdom literature and poetry, and uh, and then the, they have prophetic liter- literature, which there's individual prophets who essentially speak for God to His people. And these books are very uh, they're just they're various different accounts, uh, or revelations from God, God speaking through His prophets, and each one of these. You know, there's major prophets and minor prophets, and they're they're placed throughout all of Israel's history. You know, the 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 Bible is not like uh, in chronological order all the way through the New Testament. It eventually stops and stops being chronological, and you have to place these books in different parts throughout history. So, our book for today, the book of Zechariah, it's one of those prophetic books. Okay, and if you've ever read the book of Zechariah, you know that it's not simple. It's not simple. Uh, If you've ever woken up on a long night's sleep and thought about the dreams you had that night. Um, and none of them make sense. They're all completely ran- random, like non-cohesive things happening all at the same time. Yeah, has this ever happened to any of you guys? Like just ha- waking up having these dreams? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Uh, does anyone else have those random dreams where you wake up from school, like you think you, you, you're you back in your school days and you realize you forgot to go to a class all year long? That happens to me, I feel like, all the time. And then on top of that, all these other random things happen, you know, just keep happening. It's like weird. It's great. It causes anxiety all at the same time. It's like you've got your childhood puppy. Uh, you've got your current boss sitting next to you. Um, you've got your, your, your wife, your future wife walking to class with you, but it's not really your future. It's like your five year old future wife. It's not like your current future wife or whoever it is. It's just like a random thing. And then all of a sudden, Big Bird walks into the class. You're like, what in the world is going on? Like, it's just super weird. And so that's kind of what's going on here. There's a lot of imagery, there's a lot of symbolism, and it's, kind of, it's a mix of the, the past, the present, and the future. And if you read the entire book of Zechariah, you'll see uh, there is some explanation for some of these things. Like if, As you're reading it, they're explaining some of it. And most of it is best understood as we, as we look through the lens of the New Testament, and it reads a lot like the book of Revelation. So essentially, uh, Zechariah, he was given multiple visions from God. And it's fascinating. I mean, these are fascinating visions. It's encouraging. Um, It can be confusing, and it's all these things happening at the same time. But there's a lot that we can take out of it. In fact, our passage today, because of Jesus and because of the rest of our, we have the rest of our Bible. The the two verses that we have today, uh, they're crystal clear. It's, they're crystal clear. The book is actually, this book is actually one of the more quoted books, uh, reference books in the New Testament. One, one has estimated that there's 67 echoes or references from the book of Zechariah in the New Testament, most of which are found in the book of Revelation, but many come from the passages we're going to look at today. So there are a few things I think that'll be helpful to help us understand coming into this book. So there's a lot of moving parts, so try to pay close attention for a few minutes Um, so you can understand what's going on in the context. Did did your teachers ever, uh, when you were growing up, did ever say, hey, put your thinking caps on? Did that happen to anybody? Okay, well, that's what we're going to do today, um, because we're going to have a little bit of a history lesson, okay? Um, So a few weeks ago, we talked about the promise to Abraham, which uh, was a few thousand years before Jesus. And then we fast-forwarded to God's promise to to King David, which was several hundred years uh, after the promise to Abraham, Uh, And today we're going to fast forward again several hundred years after King David. Before we do do that, there are several things uh, that happen over a few hundred years. You know, after King David, his son, King Solomon, he built a massive, uh, extravagant temple for God. King Solomon had great wealth. King Solomon had great wisdom. And And then this king, King Solomon, David's son, he started to get caught up in the world. Uh, and he turns away from God, and then everything, it just starts to fall apart. After King Solomon, Israel's kingdom starts to fall apart. And in, in my opinion, this is where Israel's history, the, the history of God's people, starts to get a little bit more confusing. Because during King Solomon's reign, it was one kingdom called Israel. But then, because Solomon turned from God, it made God angry, and the kingdom divided into two kingdoms. So we've got the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And then we see king after king. Uh, on both kingdoms, they're rising and falling on both sides. And then it's, you know, it's mixed with a couple fascinating stories from different prophets. And during this time is actually when most of those prophetic books take place. Books like the major prophets of, you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, right? They're warning God's people. um, But of course, they didn't listen. Uh, They didn't listen. And, you know, both kingdoms, meanwhile, everything's falling apart. And then uh, the this king king nebuchadnezzar and he comes in and he destroys everything and he burns that temple that king solomon built he, he burned it to the ground and they take over everything and they take god's people out of their land which leads god's people into 70 years of exile 70 years of isolation without land and no home and all of this happened because god's people turned away from god which brings us to our passage today okay hope you heard that. Um, so the book of Zechariah, our book for today, is placed about 50 to 60 years after the temple was destroyed and God's people were put into exile um, and they were kicked out of their land. Right? They were kicked out of their home. If you're completely confused at this point, that's okay. All right, that's okay. Uh, let's just say that God's people were not in the best place mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. They were on the struggle bus. That's where God's people were. They were on the struggle bus. They, uh, once we get to the book of Zechariah, they were, in, they, ha, they, ha, they were on the tail end of 70 years of a great challenge, of a great difficulty. And they thought that God was not with them. They thought that uh, because the temple, God's house, it was gone, it was destroyed, the nation of Israel, God's people, they were no longer the big dogs on the street. Right? They, they just weren't. And all these promises that God had made hundreds of years earlier, These promises, they no longer seem so promising. Everything just seems to be falling apart around them. And the very first thing we see in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah calls out to God's people to repent and turn back to God. And he told them when they did that, that God would return back to them. So that's the first few verses. It's very clear that God's people must repent and turn back to God. And then Zechariah goes into these eight different visions uh, over the next eight chapters. And that's when it gets a little spicy. Uh, it gets a little confusing, but, but these visions, there's eight of them. Okay. They run parallel with each other. They're often coupled together, categorized together, but they essentially symbolize the past, the present, and the future in a non-linear dreamlike order. They're actually, you know, they're, they're really fascinating. If you go back and read the whole book, it's fascinating. It's, it can be really encouraging, but that's all for another day. Okay. And they close out these visions Saying they will all be fulfilled if they're conditional on if they are faithful to God. And then in chapter 9, our text for today, uh, there's a pretty major shift. Okay? There's a major shift. Zechariah, he starts to describe the king that is coming. He starts to, to describe the long awaited messianic king, what he will be like, the king that everyone has been waiting to see for. Hundreds of years, the king that they were promised that they would they would come from the line of David, which which was which we've talked about over the past two weeks. And I told you it was going to be um, today was going to be really technical. So if you've checked out here, try to check back in um, because you know you see these people they were in a time of hardship and grieving. That's where they were. They were in a time of hardship and grieving. In our book for today, we see the ups and downs. We see the craziness of life, what what life throws at them, their lives. It seemed to be like a chaotic, crazy roller coaster ride, much like our lives today, right? It hasn't changed. We get this. Our lives are often not linear. They're often, they're not not neat and orderly. I, I think we understand this. We have high highs. We have low lows. They're fast and slow, scary and exciting, right? We never know what's going on all at the same time life, what life throws at us. The book today, it shows that. And in the midst of it, these two verses that we're going to be in today, Zechariah, he invites us to lift up our head, to get our head above water, and to look and to hope for the coming of God's kingdom. He said, you get our head above the chaos, and let's cling on to something. Let's look for what's coming. And today, as we seek to prepare our hearts for Christmas, our big idea for today is to remember that the king is coming. The king is coming. So we're going to look at two verses, like I said, in, in, in Zechariah chapter 9, to see a glimpse of hope in the midst of chaos. And um, again, I don't, I don't know what brought you in here today. I have no clue. Um, and, but I wouldn't be surprised if life seemed a bit chaotic at times. I wouldn't be surprised. like Maybe a school, maybe school has been a whirlwind of a semester. Maybe, maybe a family situation has been a challenge. Maybe you've got a friend situation and you're not really sure what to do with Or maybe you can't just catch your breath with everything you've got going on. Like with, with all of the things throwing at you. Or maybe it's just the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season. like all, Everything that's going on, I don't know what it is for you, but I want to call us to remember as we reflect on what, on, God, on, God's, uh, on what God's people were going through, right? as we reflect on the anticipation of the coming King, I want to call us to remember that we can take heart today. We can take heart because indeed we know that the king has come. The king has come. Kings will uh, no longer rise and fall like we see throughout Israel's history. The ultimate king, King Jesus, is sitting on his throne, watching, protecting, and saving his people. Because the king has come. No matter what the chaos of life brings, we can lift up our heads above the chaos and we can take heart because God has come to us. And our king, our king is with us today, right? So this is, this is a time for us to both reflect and rejoice because God did not leave us in our chaos. God came to be with us, right? God sent an orderly king right, that, would, that would not rise and fall. God sent a king that, would, that went into the grave for our sin and rose from the dead, Right? That's what God did. I hope today, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, I hope that we will see that we have a great reason to rejoice because our King has come. So with that said, we're going to read through our passage, and on the back end, we're going to see five characteristics of the coming King. We're going to try and go through these fairly quickly, uh, and that'll be our time for today. These five characteristics that Zechariah prophesied about, uh, they became true through the birth of Jesus. And in fact, uh, Jesus went out of his way as an adult to show that we see today that it was in fact him, that Jesus was the fulfillment of this prophecy. So follow along with me in Zechariah chapter 9, uh, verses 9 and 10. This is what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So I'm going to go ahead and give you these five characteristics that we have, just so you have them, Um, but we're going to go through one by one. So here they are. The king will lead to rejoicing. Number two, the king will bring righteous victory. Number three, the king will come in humility. Number four, the king will bring peace. And number five, the king will rule the nations. So these we wrote these all in future tense here because that's how the passage reads. Right, It's looking forward to the coming king. This passage was written before Jesus, but Zechariah, he was in the dark on this, you know, on, on who this would be. But God had given Zechariah a vision for the future. But us, us here today, we have a different perspective. Right? We can look backwards. That strange vision that Zechariah received, it became a historical fact when Jesus was born. And, it was, and, and, he, and Jesus lived out these characteristics. So no, us knowing that this became true, and it was fulfilled in Jesus, we could say, we could reword all of these, and we could say that Jesus leads us to rejoice. Jesus brings righteous victory. Jesus came in humility, he brought peace, and he rules the nations. But for consistency, we're going to keep uh, the, the, the mindset of the coming the king, king the, the future tense. So with that said, look at, uh, look at verses 9 again, the first half of verse 9. This is what it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. This was really, this was really good news for those who were waiting, right? They were in exile. They were in isolation because remember God's people, they were on the struggle bus, right? That, they were struggling. They were in the midst of a long, difficult time. And then Zechariah, he comes to the scene in the midst of their wallowing. and He says, he says, wake up. Right, wake up! It's time to rejoice. The King is coming. Right, the book of Zechariah, as you're reading it, it's it's kind of like an alarm clock for people at this point. Right, like saying, get up! Right, the King is coming. Stop snoozing and wake up. When I was a kid, you know, I, uh, I often go to my grandparents' house um, and have sleepovers there, stay with them. Uh, and one thing to know about me is I'm a heavy sleeper. Like I'm kind of like waking up a rock. You know, i just get into a really deep sleep. Uh, and my grandmother, she would come into our room, or, or my room, when I would stay with them, and uh, while I was in a deep sleep, and she would always come in singing, you know, in a high-pitched, chipper voice, Rise and shine, give God the glory, glory. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to spare you from that. But just imagine a high-pitched grandmother walking in, singing, Rise and shine, give God the glory, glory. She loved her mornings. Um, she thought she would lead it me to rejoicing, uh, it often led to grumbling, so I just took the pillow over my head, like a teenager or a young kid child would do, and go back to sleep. And then my grandfather would often come in. He would start like pulling my toes and tickling my feet. You know, pull the pull the covers off of me. You know, take my pillow. Um, he would do all of that until I got up. My my grandfather, he was actually known to come in and uh, with a bucket of cold water. And if you didn't get out of bed, he would throw it on you. That's just what he would do. He he would get you out of bed. And so that's kind of what Zechariah is doing here in some ways. He's, he's crying out to Zion, which Zion is just another name for Israel, God's people. And he's saying, wake up, right? It's time to rejoice. Get out of your slumber and rejoice. It's time uh, to stop snoozing. Like, get up, rejoice. You know, get, start your day because the king is coming. Here's our, and here we see our first characteristic. The king, number one, the king will lead to rejoicing. He says, rejoice greatly. Shout aloud. It's time to rejoice. And for us here today, as we think about Christmas, it's time to celebrate and rejoice because during this time, we, like I've said, we remember that the King has come. We remember in celebrating that Jesus came. When, 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 we Brothers and sisters, we can rejoice because our King has come to us and He came as the ultimate King. He came as the ultimate King. When King Jesus, when, the, when, when, when He came onto the scene, Jesus was clearly very different than all the other kings. Like, he was a very different king because, remember, most of the kings that came before him, they were, they were pretty much worthless failures. Like, most of them were. When, if you read through all the kings in the Old Testament, most of these, most of these guys, they're just complete jokes. Like, they, they've got a couple verses. They, they come in, they reign, they fail, and they're, off, they're, they're gone. Like, there's just, like, king after king rises and falls. Most of them, you know, they come and they disappear very quickly, but not Jesus. Jesus was far different than all the rest of those kings. Look what it says next. It says, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. I found this very interesting. I want you to pay attention here because uh, there's two words, there's two phrases here uh, that I want us to focus on. You know, I, I say, uh, it says in two different translations, in the, in the, NS, in the ESV and in the NIV, it says righteous, and it also says, you know, in other, it says uh, having salvation. And I found this interesting because in other translations here, it says, uh, it says different things. And whenever we see different phrases in different translations, it should at least cause us to ask questions. Like, what's, what, why are those words different? Um, and so different, a different translation, the RSV, it uses the word triumphant and victorious, is he. Which I thought was interesting. You know, the NSV, he says, uh, Just and endowed with salvation. Um, you know, when we hear the word righteous and the phrase having salvation, you know, we often hear those. Those are pretty commonly used words in the church, and it's kind of church language oftentimes. And We assume we know what they're saying. We we can assume that, but it's it's a little different here than we would normally think. That first word, righteous or just, actually, that's exactly what we think. Like when he says righteous and just, the king, Jesus, he'll come uh, he'll be righteous and just. The king will do what it takes to make things right. Was, you know, uh, that's something we can rejoice over in regard to Jesus. Jesus came onto the scene and he did that. He did just that. Jesus was perfectly righteous and just. Like I already said, though, Jesus wasn't uh, like all the other kings because who at some point, all the other kings they lacked righteousness, they lacked justice. You know, they every other king had some sort of moral failure, or they. Uh, were treated poorly, or they were treated unfairly, but not Jesus, right? Jesus, uh, Jesus was different. He didn't treat people unfairly. But then look at the next phrase. It says, having salvation. And when we hear that, we often think of like being saved from our sins, uh, bringing salvation, bring being released from the power of sin, uh, which is absolutely true. And that, that is being implied here, but it's also more than that. Okay, it's more than that because uh, it's also translated triumphant or victorious. Because what's being implied here is what the word righteous or just is that the king, it, it, he will successfully stand up for what is right. One pastor said uh, this phrase implies victory for the oppressed and the innocent. So what Zechariah is getting at here is that the coming king will stand up, the coming king will win for what is right, for the innocent. Right, he, he will win for the faithful. Which brings us to our second characteristics of the coming king. The king, number two, will bring righteous victory. Essentially saying, the, the king wins for the lowly. The king wins the right way. He, he, he will treat others correctly. The king will see victory for the broken, for the down and out, for the poor, for the widows, for the powerless. The king that is coming, he will bring victory the right way for the underdog. Like he's going to come in for the underdog and he's, he's going to have the underdog story. So can you imagine what this sounded like for those that were hearing this at this time? Because remember, they had failure after failure of kings that had come before them. And remember, they had been oppressed. They were in isolation. And their, their kingdom their kingdom was in complete ruins. Right In a lot of ways, it felt where they were, it felt like they were at a failed kingdom. And the people at this point... Their perspective of a king, um, it was a bit of a joke, because most of the kings, like we've said, for a few hundred years, it was like joke after joke, failure after failure. It's just uh, their perspective of kings, it was kind of like the Cleveland Browns and quarterbacks. Like, that's just kind of what was going on. So they, you know, they come and go very quickly. They're often doing nothing productive. Uh, So this pronouncement, it was shocking for them. It gave them hope for a different king. Right? It was, he was victorious. He was righteous. Brothers and sisters, what do we see Jesus do over and over again? Right? Time and time again, he brings victory. He heals, he helps, he elevates the least of these. He brings righteous victory for God's people. And every time he does it, he shows them and everybody else that it's not just about social justice, it's far more than that. Greater than bringing victory and helping the down and out He brings victory over the greatest battle known to man. He brings a victory that not even King David, the greatest king in Israel's history, could defeat. He brought victory over the power of sin. Jesus brought victory over the greatest problem known to man. Jesus brought victory. He made victory possible for every single person, for those who are lowly, defeated, broken in their sin. Jesus brought righteous victory for the powerless, in a tangible way, because Jesus defeated sin and death. He defeated sin and death. We can rejoice for the coming king because he brought righteous victory, and we can also rejoice for the coming king because he also came in great humility. Look at what it says at the end of verse 9. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I want to point out one word here, specifically the word humble. Which is our third characteristics, uh, the King will come in humility. Okay, the King will come in humility. Zechariah was showing that the coming King would come humbly. This would also be translated as like lowly or gentle, poor or afflicted. Let's be honest here. If I told you that a coming King is coming to save the world, what would you imagine? Like what would you imagine? Probably. Something like a mighty warrior king, a king a lot like David, uh, that defeated entire armies. Like he, he defeated entire uh, he de- giants by you know by himself. He 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 defeated bears. You know, so so maybe you would think of someone like a secular king, like like Alexander the Great, was, was during this time a great ruler, a powerful king. He was full of pride and he was he had a forceful direction, conquering nations and enemies to save God's people. Israel, you know, at this point they would they had dwindled down to nothing. They needed a comeback story, like that's what they needed. They needed to have that Rudy story, the comeback story. And Zechariah describes the righteous, victorious king as humble, gentle, lowly, and poor. If 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 that were advertised as a movie, I don't think it would really sell a lot of tickets. You know, like it just—I uh, don't think it would do real well. You know, come and see our great hero. Right? He's so gentle and lowly. And poor and afflicted, like that, just that wouldn't uh, that wouldn't go so hot. I don't think it seems a little odd, and it seemed a little odd to God's people. Like it seemed odd to God's people, but Zechariah, he was reiterating what the prophet Isaiah said. You know, Isaiah fifty three, uh, around this same time, a little before this, uh, he came on. He had this pro- he, he had a prophetic uh, word. This is what he said. he said. Speaking of the coming king, he said he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. He was described and rejected by men. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, a familiar with suffering, like one from men uh, whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And then Jesus came onto the scene and, and he fulfilled this vision because Jesus, he came in humility. And the son of God was born as a baby in a manger, to a poor family to grow up and become a carpenter. And Jesus didn't come onto the scene through a king's palace as a mighty victorious warrior. He was born in a manger as a lowly baby. And then we see the second half of that verse come true in Matthew 21. right? Because Jesus, he comes onto the scene. Right? He comes into, Jesus came into Jerusalem as a man, as a grown man, and he was literally riding on a donkey. Now, that's what he was doing. We're talking about Jesus here. Right, up to this point, uh, Jesus had done a lot of miracles. Like he, had a few, he had a few notches on his belt. And he had uh, calmed a storm, fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, walked on water, multiplied food for 4,000 people. He talked someone into fishing. I don't know if you remember this. He talked someone into fishing and then uh, told them they would catch a fish with a coin in its mouth. And then he did it. Like They, they went and fish, and they, they caught a fish and had a coin in his mouth. It actually happened. And then he walks up to a fig tree. He's like, hey, uh, that's cursed because it's not breaking any fruit, and then it immediately dies. And that's just what Jesus did. He, at this point, he had a few notches on his belt. Um, you know, if uh, Jesus had Instagram, I think he would have the little blue check beside his name at this point. You know, that's what he would have had. So he comes into Jerusalem announcing himself as the long-awaited king you know, like this was, his, this was like his big entry into Jerusalem. This was like his triumphal entry, and he comes in on a small donkey. Like a, a small donkey. You know, I, I just think of like that as being a Insta, little Instagram story. You know, like that would be a great story. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a large, majestic stallion, a powerful horse. No, it was a small donkey. It was a small donkey. But he knew what he was doing. Jesus knew what he was doing. He was fulfilling a prophetic vision. That we see in the book of Zechariah, he was showing great humility. So we must ask: we have to ask, why is it so important? Why is the coming? Why is the humility of the, of the coming King? Why is this so important? Why does go? Why does God go out of His way to show that Jesus, the coming King, is humble, lowly, and meek? You know, opposed to a powerful, majestic King, which, by the way, He is those things. Uh, Jesus is also all of those things. He's full of power and majestic. He's also lowly, poor, and meek. But we have to ask, why is this so important? Like, why is it so important? Because, uh, because it shows the long-awaited Savior, the long-awaited King, that He will be able to identify and relate with His people. That's important. Like He's He comes in humility so that we can relate with Him, so that we can be cared by Him. Jesus, the King, did not come. To identify with the powerful rulers, Jesus came to identify with the meek, lowly, and humble. But do you know why else this is important? Because the only way to enter God's kingdom is through great humility and not pride. Pride can absolutely keep people out of the kingdom of God. Pride says, I don't need forgiveness of sin. Pride says, I don't need a savior. Pride says, I can do this life by myself. I don't need God because it takes Great humility to humble yourself, to turn your life over, to be ruled by another king. We want to be the kings of our life, but Jesus wants to be the king of our life. God doesn't want us to rule our life. God wants to be the ruler of our life. This takes humility. This takes takes meekness. And being able to identify with our own spiritual need and poverty, Jesus understood this. And Jesus modeled this for his people. And because it's not the strong and mighty the enter God's kingdom, it's the humble and lowly the enter God's kingdom. So Jesus' is coming in lowly humility shows that, that He relates to us, that He can comfort us, and He can help us. And then in Matthew 11, Jesus came in and said, Come to Me. Right, he said, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Right, he says, Take My yoke upon you, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the, com- the coming king did not come as a mighty warrior to only provide political rest. He came as a humble servant, more importantly, to provide soul rest. He came humbly to provide rest for the weary, to take heavy burden that is laid on our souls. if we're here today, if we're here today and your burden is heavy, the chaos of life seems like too much, I want to call you today to find rest for your soul with the humble king who can identify with your burden. Jesus came so that he can identify with the rest of your soul, and he can provide rest for your soul. Jesus came so he can provide refuge for your burden say this, Jesus did not come as a, as, as a prideful, unapproachable king. He came, he came as a humble king to provide rest for your soul. So with that said, I want to go back to the second half of verse 9. It speaks of the king coming in mounted on a donkey. Because this idea, it feeds into verse 10. All right, this coming king coming in on a donkey, uh, it, he didn't do that just to show humility. It also shows and symbolizes peace. He's showing peace. Because during this time, I found this very interesting. During this time, donkeys weren't just a lowly poor man's animal. like They actually had value. They were just used for different things. They, they were used more for agriculture and farming. And they, you know, they were like l- Large stallions, large horses. Uh, they were used more for military and war horses. Uh, someone coming in on a large horse, you know, it showed that they were, they were battle ready. Like These guys that would come in on these big horses, they were ready for war. However, during this time, kings, they would also come in, often riding into war, they would ride on a donkey. The kings would. And when they did this, when the kings did this, it symbolized that they were coming in peace. Saying, hey, I come in peace. Not war, ready for battle, but they came in peace. And that's exactly what this vision entailed. That's that's, That's what the coming of Jesus showed that king jesus his rule and reign it symbolized peace not war look what it says at the beginning of verse 10 after it says he will you know after it says he come riding in on a donkey in verse in verse 9 in verse 10 it says i'll cut off the chariot from ephraim and the war horse from jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations think about what he says but will be cut off okay cut off the chariot He's going to cut off the war horse, and he's going to cut off the battle bow. And then it says, he shall speak peace to the nations, which brings us to our fourth characteristic. It says, uh, the king will bring peace. Now, this is where it gets a little difficult uh, because, you know, when we look around today, still still today, we don't exactly see a lot of peace. Right? We still see wars and fighting. Right? We still see great turmoil. There's not a lot of peace in our world today, but however, Jesus came in riding on a donkey. He was making a statement that his kingdom is a kingdom of peace, and this is where we see it partially fulfilled in Jesus's first coming, and then where it's going to be ultimately fulfilled in his second coming, okay? So verse 10 starts to look forward towards the second coming where there'll be no more, no more war, no more pain, crying, and tears, and then there will be a time in the future from now, a time of perfect peace, a time of war and turmoil, to exist. But we also know that, in fact, Jesus did bring peace in his first coming. You know, when Jesus, the coming king, uh, he, he walked this earth, he became, as Isaiah called him, he became the Prince of Peace. That was his, that's another name for Jesus, the Prince of Peace. When Jesus was born, we see in the gospel, uh, we see an angel come onto the scene. You know, at the birth of Christ, and he says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those With whom he is pleased. So, and then we also see later Jesus declared peace. He declared Jesus said he came to bring peace, not a sword. He said that with Peter. But this idea of peace in the Bible it's vast and large, right? It starts at the very beginning. You know, when God created the world, there was perfect peace. It was called shalom. It was a state of perfect peace that we see in the Garden of Eden. And then the curse of sin came onto the scene, and everything that was peaceful it was all undone. It was ruined. The peace with God was destroyed. Humanity's peace with God was destroyed because of sin. And as we've seen for thousands of years, that shalom, that perfect peace that we see at that creation, it was gone and it couldn't be found. And then we see the Prince of Peace, Jesus, be born. Right? And when Jesus was born, that was God's statement that he was seeking to reestablish shalom. He was seeking to reestablish peace on earth. God sent Jesus onto the scene and he made a way through the gospel to reestablish humanity's peace with God, to help guide his people to find peace with each other in relationships and families and marriages. And when Jesus came announcing peace on earth, riding on a donkey, he was announcing that he was reestablishing God's kingdom of peace. Shalom was coming back. And when Jesus came onto the scene, again, he began to reverse. The curse of sin bringing peace on earth. And one day, there will be complete peace on earth. That's a promise. Like that's something we can long for. And we look back to the birth of Christ, we can see that peace is starting to be established. So, so brothers and sisters, we can rejoice that the coming King, Jesus, will establish peace on earth. Peace with God and Jesus will bring perfect peace alone. Throughout the birth of Jesus Christ, when we think about this, we can celebrate and rejoice because we're reminded that we can have peace with God through the gospel. We can be reminded that we can have peace with God through the gospel. And if you're here today and you don't have peace in your heart, please know this, that you absolutely can find peace in your heart. In the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your struggle, whatever brought you in here today, God's word tells us that we, have, we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. There's a peace that comes with Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Because yes, Jesus provided peace. Peace for those who trusted in Jesus. But then this, this last part is fascinating to me. He said in the end of verse, verse 10, he says, He shall speak peace to the nations. You know, Zechariah is remembering God's promise to Abraham here. You know, to bless the nations, to speak peace to the nations. And then he says, His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This is fascinating to me because on one side here, uh, we see a meek and humble and a lowly king. right? But then on the other side, we see a king with total absolute rule. Total absolute rule over the nations to the ends of the earth, which brings us to our fifth characteristic, fifth and final. The king will rule the nations. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here um, because we've already preached two sermons on this concept of God's rule over the entire world. Uh, the God has made a promise that includes all groups of people from all over the world will come in and worship. This God's eternal rule and reign will be for all people all over the world. You know, it's a guaranteed promise. And Zechariah here, he's reiterating that promise again. But what I want to point out is the tension in these verses of the coming king. Like, there's tension here because on one side, this meek, humble, gentle king bringing peace on earth on earth, but on the other side, we see God's total sovereign rule and reign like that's over over all of creation so this coming king is both completely approachable gentle caring for your soul a wise counselor understands our struggles relates with our humanity but yet he also has complete sovereign rule and reign over creation you know we see a beautiful we see a beautiful picture here in zechariah you know as god as the warrior king, ruling the world, cutting off war horses and chariots and bows, fierce, strong, and fighting battles. And then we also see the coming king is relatable and caring and gentle. And then Jesus come onto the scene in, in the perfect tension. This, was, this tension was perfectly portrayed by Jesus at the cross. Because where Jesus portrayed complete poverty and gentleness by staying on the cross and not fighting back, But yet he showed complete fierceness and great strength by staying on the cross to defeat sin and death so that we can rejoice and be with God. Like we can shout praises to God so that we can have righteous victory over our sin so that sin sin no longer has power over us. So that we can relate with Him in His humility, so that we can be humble. So we can come to God humble in our brokenness, in our poverty, in our chaos. Jesus stayed on the cross in perfect humility and in perfect mighty strength. He portrayed it perfectly on both sides. So that we can have peace with God, peace with others, and peace with the world. And then he He did it not just for us, but He did it for every nation and people all over the world. Brothers and sisters, we have a great reason to rejoice today. We have a great reason to rejoice, as it says at the beginning of verse 9. All this leads up, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you. New City Church, in the season of the coming king, as we think about the birth of Jesus, knowing that the perfect, righteous, victorious, humble, peaceful, sovereign king has come, Brothers and sisters, we should rejoice. When we think about God coming to us, when we think about the King, or when we think about the King that came, the birth of Jesus, this is an unmistakable call for us to rejoice because the King has come. Let's pray. Father, you came in great humility. You came bringing peace, You came for all the nations, Father. You came uh, bringing righteous victory. Father, we can call out to you and we can rejoice. We can shout aloud because uh, you came to us as a baby. Father, you came to us born, laying in a manger so that you would be sent to the cross for our sake, Father. As As we think about Christmas, as we reflect on the coming King of Christ, I pray that we would... Uh, be in a season of remembering and rejoicing that Christ has come, that Jesus has come. Father, we, uh, we're we thankful. Uh, we need your help today. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.